Welcome to the Shadron Berean Church Podcast, where you'll find some of the latest teachings from Shadron Berean Church in Shadron, Nebraska. We are a loving community of believers growing in God's grace in Christ together. The heartbeat of our church is to have deep roots in the Word of God and to bear fruit by passionately applying it to our lives by His power for His glory. And we thank you for joining us. On the Weather Channel, uh, some of your guys' favorite channel, I know you're just addicted to it, uh, there's, a, there's an old, long-running series called Storm Stories. You've heard of it? Storm Stories. People tell their story about some of these uh, storms that they've survived, you know, the tornadoes and hurricanes and that sort of thing. And, and Storm Stories, the next chapter, uh, that's in the past couple of years, I guess, uh, celebrates storms that uh, actually brought out the best in people. Uh, it, it brought out storms. You watch these storm stories, and it's really encouraging because it does. It brings out some of the best in people. There, you know, People uh, display bravery and, and integrity and just compassion and ingenuity. And, you know, the whole town comes together when, the, when it's flattened by a tornado. And it's just really, uh, it is kind of addicting to, to, to watch these stories. But uh, we all have our own storm stories. Times when life is not is anything but smooth sailing, and uh, if if you don't yet, if you don't have your own storm stories, just wait. Right, you will. Uh, in fact, some of you guys uh, probably like this guy right here, uh, calling God in 2023, trying to find out uh, what 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 the year's gonna bring. Calling God to make sure I'm registered for the fun and successful package this year, not the trials and tribulations package, right? He's got that look of concern on his face. <laughs> but uh, storms, they'll, they'll either bring out the best in you or they'll bring out the worst in you. That's kind of what we're going to talk about today. And the question that we're going to ask is, how should we respond to the storms in life? How do we respond to the storms in life? Uh, does a storm in my life determine whether or not I'm in God's will. Because I'm in, going through this storm doesn't mean I'm in God's will or not, or is it, does it mean that God's happy with me or, or not, or if he's happy or mad at me? So, uh, that, interesting questions, but that's sort of what we're going to look at as we return to our study in the book of Acts. Uh, last time we were in this uh, book, before Christmas, uh, remember Paul was, has gone through a, a series of trials, uh, just trial after trial after trial before different governors. And uh, because he was not getting a fair trial, he finally exercised and prayerfully and within God's will his Roman right to appeal to Caesar. He's not getting a fair trial here, so he appeals to Caesar, right? The emperor, the the most powerful man in the world at that time. And uh, it's going to be a long journey there for Paul. And... uh, Let's get started with just a few verses here. We're going to work our way uh, just a few verses at a time through this, this chapter and then try to wrap it up with some good principles for us. But uh, when it was decided uh, that we would sail for Italy, then 
they proceeded to deliver Paul and some other prisoners uh, to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius, and embarking in an Andromedian ship, which was about to set sail to the regions along the coast of Asia, we put out to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian of, of, of Thessalonica, and uh, the next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul with consideration and allowed him to go to his friends and receive care. So, I uh, just want to note some of the personalities that we just uh, read about there. There's about four of them in, in general. Uh, you'll notice that this is another we passage in the book of Acts. Luke says, we set sail for Italy. So that means Luke, the author, is including himself in this journey. He's on this ship with the apostle Paul. He is an eyewitness, and it's likely that actually while Paul was in Caesarea Maritima for these years, that he was uh, in prison, or we might look at it more as like protective custody. Um, Luke was there with him. Luke came there with him, and he stayed there, or in the territory of Judea and Israel. And he was actually going around uh, for two years, probably collecting information, eyewitness testimony. And uh, he's using uh, his, these testimonies and the, the facts that he's gathering uh, from different individuals to actually compile during this time the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And uh, this chapter right here is just a fine example of how well Luke wrote. I, this, this chapter is amazing, guys. Um, it, it reads like an entertaining epic, you know, like an epic, a Greek epic, but it's also detailed history, accurate history, that teaches us theology. This is just, there's nothing like the Bible in the world. This is just, it's inspired. It's, it's an amazing, amazing chapter that we have before us. And it's the most detailed actual uh, report of a shipwreck from the ancient world. Uh, so, good historical document to revisit. But uh, Luke and Paul are, are with Aristarchus, a disciple from Thessalonica. He's going to be mentioned in some of Paul's uh, prison epistles from Rome. Then you notice other prisoners also heading for Rome. Um, did you catch that? Other prisoners. Uh, at this time, when someone was sentenced to death, uh, the Roman Empire sometimes might hold them somewhere until they had a large number of prisoners that they could ship all at once to Rome. Instead of sending you know, individuals, they take a, a, just a group of prisoners, send them to Rome, where, in fact, they might actually uh, die in the gladiatorial games, right? like you see in the Colosseum. That's going on during this, this time. So this is a, a rough crowd of prisoners being going to be executed. There's, there's soldiers right, with the centurion uh, guarding them, babysitting them, basically. And then there's sailors, on the ship, too. So, rough crowd. And some of them don't have a lot to lose. Their days are numbered anyway. And then finally, you have Julius, and he's the centurion who uh, oversees this transfer. He's like the commander of a hundred men, a century, centurion. But anyway, they start out on this Andromedan ship, uh, Midium ship. It's a. Uh, Andromedium was a. Uh, it's called modern day, it's Edromit, but it's on the. Uh, northwest shores of Turkey, just where the ship was built. Um, it was a smaller um, trading ship that typically hugged the coastlines. 
You know, some of you guys are truckers in the, in the world of semi-trucks. This is going to be your day cab version of a ship. Okay? You're not going on long journeys over the open seas. You're just going to hug the coastlines and, and kind of go from port to port. And you have to remember, uh, during this time, there were no passenger ships. There's no princess cruise lines where people are eating caviar, touring the Mediterranean, and visiting all the beaches, right? Uh, just, just wasn't a thing yet. These are cargo ships, uh, trading ships, and if you wanted to go somewhere, you basically walked down to the harbor, found a ship, talked to the captain, negotiated a fare, and, 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 and you got on board, and you brought your own supplies, your own food, uh, and you're, you lived on the deck, and basically the only shade was the sail for you. Um, water was probably provided, but uh, it was rough. Sea travel was rough, and uh, I came across just a, just a satirical cita- comment uh, from the Greek poet Horace. He said, the ship was first conceived by a sadistic ge- degenerate whose mission was to destroy humanity. <laughs> Amen to that. Sometimes I'm flying over the ocean, right? I've been on these mission trips, and I look down, and I see a ship in the middle of ocean. I mean, there's nothing around, and I think, poor souls. And then I think, boy, I hope this plane don't go down. <laughs> right? They're better off than I am. But uh, Paul's experience at sea well supports Horace's assessment of sea travel. Paul has suffered three shipwrecks already in his life, and he's about to experience his fourth. And um, Rome, uh, you know, like we would go down to the harbor, we would haggle for a fare, but Rome, they didn't haggle about a fare. Rome would actually just go up to a ship like this and, and say, where are you going? And then they would, you know, they flash their badge and they would just take the ship over, essentially. They would utilize it. They would requisition it, basically. It becomes under empirical uh, use. And I imagine some ship owners were not very happy about that. Uh, Rome and all these soldiers and all these prisoners just hop on your ship and you can't really do anything about it. Uh, You're not Caesar. But uh, while some probably were not happy about it, it actually came with some insurance and protection against pirates. So no one's going to attack a ship with a bunch of Roman soldiers on it, right? So... Anyway, the first leg of the journey takes them 70 miles north to Sidon where they uh, do some loading and unloading since it takes a few days, uh, up to a week even. Julius let Paul uh, visit some friends, and though he probably had a soldier chained to him while that happened, but as a Roman citizen and as an innocent one, uh, Paul was treated better than the average prisoner on board probably. But uh, it also tells us something about Paul that Julius trusts him. He's going to let this prisoner uh, just go visit some friends. And I think that says a lot about Paul's character. And Paul is going to influence Julius greatly. But verses uh, 4 through 6, From there we put out to sea and sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were behind their back. No, it says contrary. And when we had sailed through the sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra and Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy, and he put us 
aboard it. So they, they set sail again, they start heading north, and Luke describes the conditions. And you'll want to note how Luke describes the conditions throughout this journey. The wind is contrary, and they actually have to use Cyprus as this, this wind break. And it takes them longer than usual, but they finally make it to Myra. And just interesting side note, this is the, the home of St. Nicholas. Uh, Santa Claus, right? But it was uh, known for its, uh, not only Santa Claus, but it was known for large granaries here. You can go there and visit the granaries today that are still there, that they're not in use. But that's why they find an Alexandrian ship here. This is a grain freighter. And uh, most of the grain that was supplied to Rome came from down by Alexandria, Egypt, in the Nile Delta on the north shores there. It was the breadbasket of Rome. Uh, but they hop on this grain freighter because these ships are huge, and they have, uh, they're not going to hop from island to island, port from port here. They want to go to Rome as fast as they can. And uh, these ships could fit a lot of people and handle the open seas better. They were 180 foot long, 50 foot wide, 44 foot deep from the deck to the hold, bottom of the hold. And uh, actually, uh, one guy said that these ships were not outdone in size until like the 19th century. These were huge ships, and 276 people are going to be aboard this one ship. Uh, Historian Josephus said that at one time, he took a ship like this, and there were 600 people on board. But uh, let's continue on. Verse 7 and 8. When we had sailed slowly for a good many days, and with difficulty had arrived off of Nidus, since the wind did not permit us to go farther, uh, we sailed under the shelter of Crete off Salome. And with difficulty... Sailing past it, we came to a place called Fair Havens, uh, near which was the city of Lycia. And so, um, look at the description here. They sailed slowly for a good many days and with difficulty. Um, rather than sailing straight west, the wind actually forces them down, all the way down under the island of Crete. Remember, these are sailboats. They don't have motors. They, they're, not, they're going wherever the wind takes them, basically. Uh, and the wind uh, keeps up. It doesn't allow them to go any further. One commentator calculated that normally it would take two days to get from where they were to, uh, to here at the average speed of six miles an hour. But this journey took many days, not just two days, and we're probably going two miles an hour at the time, right? Well, how exciting, right? Who wants to go on a cruise right now, right? Two miles an hour, 1.7 knots. I was curious, and I had to look it up. I'm like, There's no, Michael Phelps has to be able to outswim this ship, right? So he's the Olympic swimmer, and I look it up. He can swim, on average, 3.7 knots. He's like four miles an hour. He's doubling the pace of this ship. Uh, they said he actually went like six miles an hour once in a race. I don't, I don't know. But uh, I don't know if I believe that. But he can swim twice as fast as the ship is moving. And the question we're going to wrestle with here is... If it's God's will to get Paul to Rome, we know it is. God promised he's going to Rome. You're going to go to Rome. It's God's will. You're going to share the gospel with the most powerful man in the, on earth in hopes that it'll trickle down right through Roman government. Why? Why is the wind contrary? Why is it taking so long? Why the shipwreck? That's the question we're looking at. Why doesn't God allow for smooth sailing? Why doesn't he just get Paul there? 
It's interesting. Verse 9, when considerable time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous, since even the fast was already over, Paul began to admonish them and say to them, men, I perceive that the voyage will certainly be with damage and great loss, not only to the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion was more persuaded by the pilot and the captain of the ship than by by what was being said by Paul. Uh, Because the harbor was not suitable for wintering, uh, the majority reached a decision to put out to sea from there. If somehow they might uh, reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. So, again, the wind just doesn't let up for a considerable amount of time that they're on the island of Crete. And uh, be honest with you, that sounds a lot like a blizzard we endured recently. The wind just wouldn't let up. But uh, Paul speaks up and suggests, hey guys, we better just stay here. And I don't know if Paul had a divine revelation about this, uh, it's very well could have, it doesn't say, but um, certainly, definitely, he used his experience of three shipwrecks already to say, hey, let's just stay here. Okay, the fast is already over. What fast is he talking about? He's talking about the fast that took place on the Day of Atonement. And in the year AD 59, this would have been October 5th. And uh, it's now dangerous to sail. Everybody knew uh, that it was widely known that between September 15th and November 11th, it was just a really dangerous time to travel. It's those late fall storms going into winter. And, uh, you know, some of this actually depends on where you're at in the Mediterranean. If you're like up in the northwest, it's stormy, cloudy, you know, that sort of thing. If you're, it's more moderate down in the southeast. So it just kind of depends. So there was some travel year-round. But uh, where they're traveling, right, it's just not advised at this time. And then actually this, this portion of the seas would shut down for everybody uh, except some, some brave souls that might be in the military or merchants. And it would shut down for three months. The seas would just, nobody would sail. Right? It's winter, right? Winter brought less daylight, longer nights. Uh, thankfully, the days are getting longer for us. <laughs> it brought more cloud cover, and they they they, nav- they navigated by the stars, right? They didn't have radar and all this stuff. Uh, they had poor visibility, higher winds, rain, snow, and so it's just not a good time to travel. And Paul warns them, but the captain wants to wants to push it a little bit, and it's really not that far. I mean, they're only suggesting that they go 50 miles to Phoenix there on the the other side of Crete. I mean, this is a 50-mile, half-day trek. They're yeah, going to go there, going to spend the winter there in Phoenix. Who doesn't want to go to Phoenix for the winter, right? Uh, but all they need to do is get this one good day, and, and they'll have their opportunity. Um, but they get that one good day, but it, it ends up in a shipwreck, as we see in verses 13. Through 44, when a moderate south wind came up, verse 13, supposing that they had attained their purpose, they weighed anchor and began sailing along Crete, close inshore. But before very long, there rushed down from the land a violent wind called a Eurokilo. And when the ship was caught in it and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and let ourselves be driven along. Running under the shelter of a small island, called Clada, 
We were scarcely able to get the ship's boat under control, and after they had hoisted it up, they used supporting cables in undergirding the ship, and fearing that they might run aground on the shallows of Sirtis, they let down the sea anchor, and in this way let themselves be driven along. Uh, the next day, as we were being violently storm-tossed, they began to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. And since neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small storm was assailing us, from then on, all hope of our being saved was gradually abandoned. They just totally lost hope. Uh, so this half short, you know, half day trip turns into two weeks. This is a two week storm. Uh, just total misery, loss of hope for these men. And they, they, they set sail what they think is the perfect day. This is great, but then it changes rapidly. It kind of reminds me of our winter storms. You know, it's like sunny, balmy, 50, 60 degrees one day, and the next it's, it's a pure blizzard. It's a straight-up blizzard, kind of like yesterday, right? Uh, 50 degrees, what's coming tonight? Snow, right? At least that's what the weather forecast says. But... Luke describes this wind as a, a urakila, which is a, a hybrid Greek-Latin term, a, a nickname that means northeaster. This is the northeaster. This is the one wind you don't want, and uh, it was, it was uh, infamous. And they, they, they attempt to shelter behind a small island named Clara, but they lose complete control, and they start you know, exercising emergency procedures because they don't want to end up on what was called Sirtis, which was these 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 sandbars on the north side of Africa, kind of near Libya, where uh, a ship like an Alexandrian ship could not go, right? It's just too deep. They're going to end up on a sandbar, and they're going to they're gonna die of dehydration out in the middle of the ocean during the winter. So that's, that's what they're fearing there. So they start throwing equipment overboard, cargo overboard. They start frapping the ship, trying to hold it together with ropes. Uh, and... Uh, Let's, let's move on. Verse 21, when they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up in their midst and said, Men, told you so. No. He says, You ought to have followed my advice and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this damage and loss. Yet now I urge you to keep up your courage, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night, an angel of the God to whom I belong... And whom I serve stood before me saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. Therefore, keep up your courage, men, for I believe that God, uh, that it will turn out exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. Uh, so Paul basically says, I told you so, right? You should have listened to me. Um, how many of you want to listen to a guy who says that? Uh, oh, man, he was right. You know, but, but you have to imagine all of these men on this ship, though godless in their lifestyle, probably at this point were starting to call on their gods with a lowercase g, uh, some of them are probably fasting and, and invoking their deities, kind of like you see in the book of Jonah. A uh, similar situation. But uh, two things determined sea travel back in the day, and it was, it was the weather and it was the gods, and were the gods pleased. And um, some uh, might be fasting 
intentionally invoking their deities. I'm guessing that most were fasting unintentionally. Okay, They're just sick to their stomach. They're feeding the fish. They're puking overboard. Uh, they're filled with anxiety. They're, they're, they're also going to be stretching their resources. We're not going to eat because we're going to stretch these resources. We might be stuck on an island all winter. This is all we got to eat. Um, Paul, though, has some good news. He says, the God to whom I belong. That tells you something about Paul, Paul's thinking. Right? His life is not in his own hands. His life is in God's hands. And he says, uh, he, this real God that really exists, has sent an angel to inform me of the outcome. Remember, Paul knew, he, Paul knew the outcome. He knew he was going to Rome. He had the promise from Jesus that he's going to Rome. But these other men didn't have that. They, they were thinking they were going to die. But Paul lets these men know that they're not going to die either. According to God, the trip is going to be tough, but he says it's going to be survivable. Right? It's a good principle. Divine protection does not require absence of difficulties. God's going to protect Paul, but he's not. Uh, God's going to preserve Paul, but not necessarily keep him from all the difficulties. Uh, and anyway, since they're going to be spared, their lives are going to be spared. Paul says, "Take courage, don't be afraid." So he's he's an agent of hope on the ship. Uh, verse twenty-seven. When the fourteenth night came, fourteen nights, as we were being driven about by the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors began to surmise that they were approaching some land. So maybe they hear the waves crashing on shore. Maybe they, uh, they said good, some good sailors can actually smell, smell the land. And they smell the dirt. Uh, it's like farming. Um, I like the smell of dirt. But anyway, beside the point, some just, you know, they started to sense their shelter somewhere. You know, like the waves are getting smaller, that sort of thing. Uh, verse 28, they took soundings and found it might be 20 I found it to be 20 fathoms, which is about six foot uh, wingspan. Uh, and a little farther on, they took another sounding and found it to be 15 fathoms. Uh, fearing that we might run aground somewhere on the rocks, they cast four anchors from the stern and wished for daybreak. Uh, but as the sailors were trying to escape from the ship, and had let down the ship's boat into the sea on the pretense of intending to, to lay it out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the, to the centurion and to the soldiers, unless these men remain in the ship, you yourselves cannot be saved. And then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it fall away. So uh, they start approaching land, they drop four anchors, preparing to run aground, and some other soldiers say, we're going to go drop some more anchors, basically. And what they're really planning to do is to hop in the dinghy and the lifeboat and get away. They're thinking in their minds, probably, if this ship's going down, I'm getting in a different one, right? Uh, very selfish acts, these men. However, get this, Paul is now such a trusted voice on this ship giving directions that they, they understand that he's warning them. He says, if you don't remain on this ship, you're not going to be saved. Right? And he's so trusted that they cut the ropes on that dinghy and they just let it go. It's pretty amazing. But do you see that ironic reversal of roles? Here's Paul the prisoner on the ship. Now he's the one calling the shots on this ship. It's pretty fascinating. 
Um, if you want to live, you listen to Paul. And you listen to Paul's God. Verse 33. Until the day was about to dawn, Paul was encouraging them all to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you've been constantly watching and going without eating, having taken nothing. Therefore, I encourage you to take some food, for this is for your preservation, for not a hair from the head of any of you will perish. Man, I wish I had that same promise. Just realize that. Verse 35, Having said this, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of all, and he broke it and he began to eat, and all of them were encouraged, and they themselves also took food. All of us in the ship were 276 persons. And when they had eaten enough, they began to lighten the ship by throwing out the wheat into the sea. And no, they were not trying to raise the price of wheat by doing that. Um, some stories for another time. Uh, Paul encourages them to eat, right? Because they need the energy. This is for their preservation. And he gives thanks to God in the presence of all these men. Remember who is on their ship. Here's Paul breaking bread before and giving thanks to God for for their life and their, you know, they're sustaining them before all of these soldiers and sailors and prisoners. Hey, Paul's like a prophetic voice and a witness to this crowd, and uh, his very presence as a man of faith changes the culture on this ship. He's an agent of hope. He's an agent of encouragement. It says when they had their fill, they ate as much as they could, they start throwing the wheat into the sea to lighten the ship's load so it rides higher on the water so they can get as close as possible to shore. Now, verse 39, when day came, they could not recognize the land. They didn't know what island this was, but they observe a bay with a beach, and they resolved to drive the ship onto it if they could, and casting off all anchors, they left them in the sea, while at the same time they were loosening the ropes of the udders, rudders. Uh, this, this type of ship had two big oars basically on both sides but in hoisting the foresail to the wind they were heading for the beach but striking a reef where two seas met they ran the vessel aground and the prow stuck fast and remained immovable but the stern began to break up it was broken up by the force of the waves the soldiers plan was to kill the prisoners so that none of them would swim away and escape but the centurion wanting to bring Paul safely through, kept them from their intention and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land, and the rest should follow, some on planks, others on various things from the ship. And so it happened that they all were brought safely to land. So they all make it. You know, there's, there's one word that comes to mind in these last chapters of the book of Acts, we saw a lot of miracles in the beginning of the book of Acts. And what are we seeing now? We're seeing providence, providence, providence. God's providence, divine providence, um, would have them wreck 467 miles off course at Malta. This little, tiny, this little island in the Mediterranean. I mean, they don't hit this island, they're toast. But here they would wreck at, at Malta. And the place that you can go today is called St. Paul's Bay. Um, this is like finding a needle in a haystack that they end up here. It's really incredible. Providence also is seen in that the centurion stops the soldiers 
protocol to kill prisoners after a shipwreck. That was standard protocol so that they don't escape. And they're already condemned to death. Just kill them. Right? Then you don't have to worry about it. You have to babysit them all winter. Centurion says, no, you're not going to do that. You see who's pulling the strings here, right? It's God. God's providence. But let's ask our question again from, from, from the beginning. Why? Why this storm? If it's God's will to get Paul to Rome to witness to Nero, why? Why allow a storm? And how do you know when you go through the storms in your life that you're, whether you're in the will of God or not or if God's happy with you or mad at you, why, why is this storm in my life? Those are questions we ask. And I'm guessing, to answer this question, how do you know you're in the will of God or not, I'm guessing the Apostle Paul would not have answered this by saying, if things are just falling into place, and if you just have smooth sailing in your life, it's God's will. Isn't that what we often hear, though? It's got to be God's will. Things are just falling into place. They're lining up. Smooth sailing. It's got to be God's will. Now, I'm not saying God won't open doors at the right times for you and He has a calling on your life or whatever. I've seen God do some incredible things to get His people where they need to be. But a lot of times, guys, it comes through storms to get them there. Storms that, we all like change unless it means someone else is calling the shots. I'll change as long as I want to change, but when God makes me change. And God often does that through the storms in our life. But to determine whether or not we're in God's will, or if, we're, if God's mad with us or pleased with us, based on circumstances in our life, is just not a biblical thing. It's something that you have to let go of. Because it's not true. It's not biblical. If, it, if it's true that smooth sailing in life is a sign of God's will or God's satisfaction with you, then the Apostle Paul failed miserably. God was not happy with Paul for his entire ministry. Paul was out of God's will his entire ministry. You remember 2 Corinthians 11, Paul's testimony? He said he was imprisoned, he was beaten, times without number. He was often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. He was stoned and left for dead, stoned to death. Uh, three times he was shipwrecked. Now for a night and a day, he said, I've spent in the deep. Right? You've all watched Titanic. Spending a night in the deep, clinging to ship debris? <laughs> that's, that's the Apostle Paul's life. Was he out of the will of God? He said his life was in danger frequently. I faced many hardships, including thirst and hunger and cold and exposure. And on top of it, churches were not perfect that he was pastoring. The great Apostle Paul pastored churches and they were Carnal at times, just incredibly carnal and worldly. Does that mean it wasn't his will to pastor that church or something? Like the, the churches were messy and that weighed on him. 
So even without bringing up Jesus' life, I'm not even bringing that up today, really, right? You follow me, you're going you're to gonna have to take up your cross. You know, they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you also. It's going to be hard. Uh, without even bringing up all of that teaching from Jesus, this idea we can see from Paul's life that if my life is smooth sailing, then I'm in God's will, it just needs to go. This idea has to go. Sometimes we think like this, though, as, even as Christ followers. In, for Christ followers, believers, for whom there is no condemnation. Do you ever have a storm come into your life and you think, God's really mad at me and I'm condemned right now? Now, there might be some disciplinary stuff in your life, but you start questioning your position before God. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Remember that. We don't serve a pagan God that is that simple, that I'm doing good, I'm pleasing God, and everything's smooth sailing, and I'm not doing good, I'm going to have storms. It's not that simple. Job learned that, didn't he? We don't serve a pagan God. You can't reduce God to this sort of simplicity. It doesn't work that way. And I've tried to summarize into one principle this morning how to avoid those sort of false expectations that life's a playground. I wonder, I kind of want to talk to some of you older folks and ask you, has life been for you more like a playground or a battleground? I think I know the answer. But sometimes we get in our heads, this life's a playground. It's going to be easy. It's going to be smooth sailing. It's all good, right? I'm going to give Joel Osteen. I'm going to live my best life now. God wants me to have that mansion and Bentley. I don't know, maybe he does. Maybe you're, I don't know, he might make you a rich Christian. I don't, you know. But it's not going to be your best life now. So here's my principle. <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting to it. Uh, you want to avoid these false expectations. You just got to be anchored in God's word. That's where Paul was at. Anchored in God's word. He said, I believe God that it will turn out exactly as I've been told. Basically, God said it, and I believe it, and that's how it's going to turn out. He was anchored in God's word and what God had told him, and we have to be too. If you're anchored in God's word, you're going to be anchored in your completeness in Christ. Even when you go through the storms, you stay out of that performance-based mindset. I, I, there's no condemnation in Christ. Christ is sufficient. I have freedom right, from condemnation. I have forgiveness of sins. My identity is in Christ, not in what I do or who I am or my circumstances. I'm in Christ. You'll also be anchored in God's sovereignty. Right? That's a major theme in the book of Acts that we've discovered, and it's a, an overwhelming theme in this chapter is God's sovereignty over the storm. I like Charles Spurgeon's famous words, every storm has a bit in its mouth. Right? Who's holding the reins? God. Any storm that comes upon us, remember, God's in control of that thing. But then, you also, you're also, if you're in God's word, anchored in the word, you're going to be anchored in God's mission and God's purposes. Mission and purpose. And that's really what I want to drive home here. God uses storms in our lives as part of his mission and part of our calling in that mission. Here's storm purpose number one as part of God's mission. 
to mature you in Christ, to mature us in Christ, to develop. Here's why he brings the storms, because God's making disciples, right? He wants to make us like his son, and he's going to develop our character. He's going to develop our faith. He's going to develop our hope through smooth sailing. No, trials. Romans 5, 3 through whatever, somewhere in there. Romans chapter 5. That's where we grow. That's where we grow, guys, in, in Christ-likeness and faith and in hope. You know, I was watching some of the Storm Stories episodes. I could not help it. I had to. I watched a few of them uh, this week in preparation for this. And you know what stood out? In these storm stories, it was the people who grew through the storm, right? The tornado comes along, throws the neighbor's house on my Corvette, red Corvette. And this young man says, I had a lesson in materialism. I learned what really matters in life. And it's not stuff. There's a teenage kid saying, that's what he learned in the storm was, that's oh, really materialistic. Now that Corvette's under a tree, under a house, I don't really care about it. I got my family. I got my friends. They're still alive. And I, I learned that I can, I can be brave. I can be courageous. I can lift this house, this stuff, this rubble off of my family and off of my friends. It's pretty, pretty powerful. Storms teach us each day is a gift. And that we need to be living each day for something that's, that really matters. Storm purpose number two has less to do with us, more to do with others. But it, it's to advance the gospel through agents of hope, through people of hope. Because sometimes we go through storms collectively. Sometimes you go through a storm individually, and people are aware of the Christian's response to the storm that they are in, and they are influenced by it. There's an evangelistic element to trials, and we influence others through our faith and our hope in God, even though we're in a storm. We tell others there's hope. We point them to hope. You know, when Paul said, I believe it'll turn out exactly as I've been told, he displayed faith before all of these men, that he trusts God's word. And, and God was putting Paul's faith on display before all of these men on this ship, all these rough and tumble guys, sailors and prisoners and soldiers. The Marines, right? Putting faith on display before all of these guys who probably would not recognize or admit their need of Christ without the storm. How many of you or how many of your, your parents or loved ones you know of, it took a storm in their life, I don't know, an illness, uh, marital problems, financial problems, loss of a job, I don't know what it was. It was a storm in their life that brought them to the point where they said, I need Jesus. I need God. It's the, it's the storms of life that do that. And so, I guess we could say there's 276 reasons why God allowed this storm. 
276 people on that ship for whom Jesus died, who needed to hear the gospel, who needed to think about eternity. And Paul was the man that God was going to use. Lastly, there's just, this is fun for me. This is a fun passage. But there is a subtle message. I don't know if you caught it. There's a subtle message in this chapter for everyone who doesn't know Christ here this morning and who doesn't know where they're going to spend eternity, in heaven or in hell. When you die, you go to one or the other. You're either with God or apart from God. You're either with God in paradise uh, or you're, you're isolated from God on a sandbar somewhere for eternity where there's kind of a sense of dehydration there. I think Luke writes this in such a way that, that we and some of Paul's critics back in the day would recognize God is with Paul. That Paul is God's messenger. Now, he's not trying to make much of Paul, but he's trying to point people to Paul because Paul carries the gospel message. And to be delivered, you need to listen to Paul and you need to believe the message that, God, that Paul has for you. Okay, just as these men had to listen carefully to Paul and believe what Paul said to be saved physically, so we have to listen carefully and believe the gospel message Paul preached to be saved spiritually. You know what I mean? To reach heaven's shores. The greatest deliverance, salvation that we need is not physical. I don't necessarily need to be saved physically from whatever I'm going through. I need a spiritual salvation. But unless you believe the gospel that Paul preached, that you're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, you cannot be saved. You don't listen to Paul on that ship, you try to get in that dinghy, your own little dinghy, right? <laughs> You're not going to be saved. You've got to cut all the life rafts off out of your life that you think are going to get you to heaven that are not Christ. Your life raft, if you think, I'm going to get to heaven by, by my good works, or my behavior, my, my church attendance, my church giving, that's not Christ. You've got to cut loose the lifeboats that are not Christ. You're only going to get into heaven through Christ and what He has done for you on the cross. There is death and burial and resurrection. Let's pray. Lord, thank You so much for such an amazing passage of Scripture here this morning. What a ride that Luke and Paul and them took a couple thousand years ago, but that you, through the Holy Spirit, inspired in such a way that you would teach us such deep spiritual lessons for our lives. Help them, Lord, to, to sink in. I pray that, that all of us here would just be anchored more and more in your word every day and thus uh, prepared for the storms of life. Help us to understand your purposes and your mission in the storms. And sometimes there's just... No real reason that we can see, we can understand in the moment why these storms are happening. But, Lord, we're going to accept them by faith and believe 
that it's going to turn out just like you said. We're going to spend eternity with you, and we're going to praise you for being our God in the storms for our entire life. For eternity, we're going to praise you for how you showed yourself faithful and good in the storms. Help us to see our, our circumstances from an eternal perspective and how you want to use them now to make disciples. For anyone here today who hasn't uh, trusted in you, might be trusting in other things uh, other than Christ, pray that today would be the day they say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust in Jesus Christ alone, my Savior from my sins. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.